0: Lesson 9 for August 22 through to 28 Peter and the Gentiles Sabbath afternoon, August 22 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to your word again to find your will for us. And as we study the story of Peter and his relationship to the Gentiles, we pray that we may find there messages for us, but also understanding of you, and of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, As many as the Lord our God will call. Let's read that again, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter was the first Apostle to proclaim salvation to the Gentiles. He continued to provide leadership in the Church for a number of years after its foundation, even after Paul became the missionary to the Gentiles par excellence. Peter, together with Paul, helped the early Church and its leadership, mostly Jews, understand the universality of the Great Commission. Peter worked to bring about an integrated church, uniting Gentile converts who were unaware of the finer points of Jewish culture, and Jewish converts whose customs tended to take on the character of divine absolutes. Like all pioneer missionaries, Peter had to discriminate between unchangeable divine absolutes and those practices that are cultural and relative and of no important consequence in the life of the believer, whether Jew or Gentile. Thus, it was Peter who at the Jerusalem Council declared of the Gentiles that God put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith, Acts 15.9, and who helped work through the issues that threatened the early church's unity. <music> sunday august twenty three Peter at Pentecost, Jesus' last words before his ascension were of a missionary nature. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Here again we see the mandate to spread the gospel into all the world. Only ten days later, this calling started to unfold, with Peter playing a key role. Question. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through to 21. How does this event show God's intent for the gospel to go worldwide, and the role that the Jews were to have in that proclamation? Acts chapter 2, Beginning at verse five, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because every one heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, "Look, are not all these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born?" Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved the great commission found its first fulfillment on the day of pentecost the outpouring of the holy spirit had as its aim the evangelization of the world This initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit gave great results on the day of Pentecost. This was, however, only a foretaste of much greater results to come in the years that followed. Peter's sermon contained a few main points that remain relevant even today. First, Old Testament prophecies and promises are fulfilled in Christ, as we saw in verses 17-21, to 21, a truth revealed through the powerful works and signs accompanying His ministry, as well as through His death and resurrection, as we see in verses 22-24. to 24. Men of Israel, hear these words... Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it." Second, Jesus was exalted, placed on God's right hand, and is now Christ, the Messiah, and Lord of us all, as it says in verses 33 to 36. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In him... All who repent and are baptized will receive forgiveness for sins, as Peter says in verses 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call." Here we see the active and vocal disciple, Peter, standing up for his belief in Jesus. He was called by Jesus to be a strong leader in the church's earliest days. Although less cosmopolitan, efficient, and adaptable to other cultures and religions than was the Apostle Paul, If you want to see how Paul did that, let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Peter opened the way for the gospel to go to about 15 nations as he preached to diaspora Jews in Jerusalem. In this way, he used a very important bridge— to bring the good news to the Middle Eastern world of his time. So, to finish the day, what does the story of Pentecost reveal about our utter need of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What choices can we make in order to be more attuned to the Spirit's leading? Monday, August 24, The Conversion of Cornelius, Part 1 Question. Read Acts, Chapter 10, Verses 1 to 8, and Verses 23 through to 48. What does the story of this Gentile becoming the follower of Jesus teach us about salvation and witness? Well, let's read Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon at Tanna, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So... When he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And verses 23 to 48, Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And, as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon at Tanner by the sea." When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God, to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water, that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? and he commanded them to be baptised in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. The conversion of Cornelius, a pagan officer in the Roman army, along with his household, has been termed the Gentile Pentecost. It is a crucial story in Acts, one that addresses the most divisive issue facing the early church. Can a Gentile become a Christian without first becoming a Jew? The Roman army's headquarters for all of Judea, including Jerusalem, was Caesarea. Cornelius would have been one of six centurions commanding the 600 soldiers that made up the Italian cohort based there. His name indicated his descent from an illustrious Roman military family that had earlier produced the commander who had defeated Hannibal, a Carthaginian general who wreaked havoc against Rome for years. More important, Cornelius was a God-fearing man who enjoyed spiritual fellowship with his family, prayed regularly, and was generous to those who were needy. God heard his prayers and sent an angel with a special message to him. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 133, Believing in God as the creator of heaven and earth, Cornelius revered him, acknowledged his authority, and sought his counsel in all the affairs of life. He was faithful to Jehovah in his home life and in his official duties. He had erected the altar of God in his home, for he dared not attempt to carry out his plans or to bear his responsibilities without the help of God. Notice, too, what happened when Cornelius finally met Peter. He bowed down and worshipped him, an act that must have appalled Peter. Thus, what we can see is that this Gentile, favoured of God, a devout man, still had a lot of truth to learn, even at the most basic level. No doubt, though, he was about to learn it. So, to finish today, what are some of the traits of Cornelius, even in his ignorance, that we all would do well to follow in our own spiritual lives? Tuesday, august twenty five, the Conversion of Cornelius, Part two. Acts ten, thirty four and thirty five reads Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Though these words to us are not that revolutionary, for them to have come from the mouth of Peter was an astonishing confession. We have to remember who Peter was where he came from and the attitudes that he had and still struggled with. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 16. Now when Peter had come to Antioch I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James he would eat with the Gentiles but when they came he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews?' We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. No doubt, though, His experience with Cornelius helped him see even more clearly the error of his ways, and helped him get a better picture of what God had intended to do with the gospel message. Question. Read Acts chapter 10 and verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you, by God what did Cornelius say to Peter that showed that he understood even despite so much ignorance that following the Lord also meant obeying him and Acts chapter 11 verse 14 and the question is what does it say that shows us the need to spread the gospel even to such godly men like Cornelius Acts 11 And verse 14, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And question again. Let's read Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. How does this verse help us to understand what was going on with Cornelius? Romans 2, beginning at verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law... These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. As we have seen, Cornelius was a Gentile who feared God. Hey, we saw that in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, though he still had a lot to learn, don't we all? Nevertheless, his fasting, his praying, and his giving of alms all reveal a heart open to the Lord, and thus, when the time was right, God worked miraculously in his life. An important point to remember in this account is how, though an angel appeared to him, the angel didn't preach the gospel to him. Instead, the angel opened the way for Cornelius to meet Peter, who then told him about Jesus. We can see here an example of how the Lord uses humans as his messengers to the world. We see this in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 44. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree." Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Wednesday, August 26, Peter's Vision. As we saw yesterday, by the time Peter made contact with Cornelius, he had a change in attitude regarding the Gentiles that other Jewish believers hadn't yet understood. What happened that changed Peter? Well, question. Read Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 22, and chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. What do the passages say about how entrenched Peter's wrong attitudes were that it took something like this to open his mind? Acts 10, beginning at verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray, about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. And while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet, bound at the four corners, descending to him, and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, "'Rise, Peter, kill, and eat.' But Peter said, "'Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean.' And a voice spoke to him again the second time, "'What God has cleansed, you must not call common.' This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, One who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And Acts chapter 11 verses 1 to 10. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him saying, You... "'went into uncircumcised men, and ate with them?' "'But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, "'I was in the city of Joppa praying, "'and in a trance I saw a vision, "'an object descending like a great sheet, "'let down from heaven by four corners, "'and it came to me. "'When I observed it intently and considered, "'I saw four-footed animals of the earth, "'wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air.' And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. Cornelius' conversion and Peter's role in the witnessing task was so important for the mission of the church that God communicated it in a supernatural way with both missionary and the missionary's eventual host. While an angel visited Cornelius, Peter was given a vision. Also, Peter stayed in Joppa with a tanner, a detail that we don't want to miss. Tanning and tanners were repulsive to the Jews because they handled dead bodies and used excreta in their processes. Tanneries were not allowed in towns. Note that Simon's was located by the seaside, as we read yesterday. Peter's stay with a tanner indicated that already, before his vision, he realized that some of his previous attitudes were at cross-purposes with the gospel. Both Peter and the family of Cornelius needed to shed some cultural baggage. All people, represented by all kinds of animals, in Peter's vision, are God's children. Peter's call to witness to Cornelius implied that, although all people are acceptable to God, not all religions are equally acceptable. Cornelius was already a religious man, like nearly everyone else in ancient society. As a soldier, he would be acquainted with the worship of Mithra, and as an officer, he would have taken part in emperor worship. But these were not acceptable to God. There is a lesson here today for those who approach non-Christian religions on the basis of equality with Christianity. Although sometimes it is done in a spirit of political correctness, such an attitude leads to a watering down of the biblical claims of Christian uniqueness and finality. And so, to finish today, how do we show respect for people whose faith we believe is wrong without giving the impression that we respect those beliefs ourselves? And what is the difference between respecting people as opposed to respecting their beliefs. Thursday, August 27, the Jerusalem Decree. Early success of the mission to the Gentiles raised some crucial questions for the early church regarding what requirements should be expected of Gentile converts, those grafted into the church. Let's look at Romans eleven seventeen. and if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Tensions always appear when people from other religions and cultures join an established believing community. In this case, Jewish Christians, with their high regard for the requirements of the Old Testament laws and rituals, assumed that Gentile converts would accept and obey these laws and rituals. The main focus was circumcision, the fundamental indication of entry into the Jewish community for males, symbolising compliance with all the requirements of Judaism. Should Gentile converts to Christianity be required to undergo circumcision? Some Jewish Christians in Judea certainly thought so, and stated their conviction in stark theological language. To them, it was essential for salvation. Question what happened at the Jerusalem Council that helped settle this important issue. Let's look at Acts chapter 15, and we'll begin at verse 1, right through to verse 35. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore... When Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that A good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and will rebuild the tabernacle of Dabal, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who were at the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings." Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So, when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now, Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Although the question of circumcision was the main reason for the Jerusalem Council, it dealt with a range of cultural practices that the Gospel did not require of its converts. The decree of the Council, in those verses we've just read, provided a common platform where Jewish and Gentile Christians could coexist in fellowship. Jewish core values were respected, but Gentiles were allowed to avoid circumcision the council's decision was both practical and theological. It set a pattern for the church to deal with issues and problems before they became too divisive. Experienced missionaries learn to identify core Christian issues and keep the focus on them as opposed to getting bogged down with things that are not essential to the faith. And so to finish today, what lesson can we take away from the Jerusalem Council that could help the Church today as it deals with controversial issues? What do they do that can serve as a model for us? Friday, August 28. From the book, The Acts of the Apostles, page 193-194, to 194, we read, Peter told of his astonishment when, in speaking the words of truth to those assembled at the home of Cornelius, he witnessed the Holy Spirit taking possession of his hearers, Gentiles, as well as Jews. The same light and glory that was reflected upon the circumcised Jews shone also upon the faces of the uncircumcised Gentiles. This was God's warning that Peter was not to regard one as inferior to the other, for the blood of Christ could cleanse from all uncleanness. Peter's address brought the assembly to a point where they could listen with patience to Paul and Barnabas who related their experience in working for the Gentiles. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. There are three. One, Peter's vision has been explained to support the argument that the dietary laws of the Old Testament are no longer valid, specifically as justification for eating unclean meat. The meaning of the vision was clearly explained by Peter himself, I should not call any human common or unclean in Acts 10.28. The vision was not, therefore, about diet, but about acceptance of other humans as God's children, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, occupation or religion. Why, though, do people use this as an argument in regard to diet? What should this tell us about how careful we need to be in how we handle Scripture? Question 2. Dwell more on Romans 2, verses 14 to 16. How should we as a church relate to this idea in terms of missions? That is, why do we need to preach to those who have the law written in their hearts? Let's read Romans 2, beginning at verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. And question three. In Thursday's study, we talked about the Jerusalem council as a model for the church today. Think over the text we read yesterday about the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, What are some specific things it did that provide a template for the church today? For instance, look at such things as 1. Personal testimonies about witness 2. The role of the gospel 3. The role of the scriptures 4. The role of missions and 5. How the people related to each other in the council Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Despair to Hope, Part 1. So Part 2 comes next week, but it's written by Cheghoen Thien from Cambodia. Chen lived in a slum-like camp for displaced persons in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. One day, Chen walked past a house and heard someone speaking to a group of people. Curious, he stared through a window. Was this a church? She wanted to study English and she had heard that churches often teach English. She waited outside until the program ended. A man walked out and introduced himself as Pastor Hang. I want to learn English, Cheng said. Pastor Hang told her that an English class met at the house church on Wednesday afternoons. On Wednesday afternoon, Chen returned to the English class. The teacher started the class with prayer, and when the class ended, he invited Chen to visit the church on Sabbath. She came to the worship service, but knew nothing about God and didn't understand the sermon. Nevertheless, she wanted to return. She continued studying English on Wednesdays. Two weeks later, Pastor Hang invited Chen to a Bible class on Friday afternoon. She enjoyed learning more about the Christian God and invited Pastor Hen to come to her home to teach her. Chen told the pastor that she was having marital problems. She explained that she and her husband were not legally married and her mother-in-law was trying to separate them so that her son could marry a Chinese girl. The couple moved, but then her mother-in-law took their two little sons and refused to allow Chen to see them and then her husband began refusing to give her money from his earnings to buy food. The pastor listened sympathetically to Chen's sad story, then he offered a possible solution. He had noticed that Chen was a natural sale person. He invited her to sell Seventh-day Adventist books to earn some money. Chen agreed to try. The pastor continued to study the Bible with her and led her to Jesus. He taught her how to sell the books. Chen followed his directions, but she wasn't able to sell any books. The best places to sell books are in restaurants early in the morning and during the evening meals. But it was the rainy season, and Chen could not get to these restaurants easily. When the rain stopped, Chen prayed, "'God, if you are the true God, if you want me to follow you, "'please show your power by helping me to sell some books tonight.' Then she set a goal to sell three or four books for one dollar. Unfortunately, this story is continued next week in Inside Story, so you'll just have to listen to next week's lesson as well. If, in the meantime, you want to see the end of it, well, go to the Sabbath School Adult Quarterly and look at the end of Lesson 9, And there will be the rest of the story. Actually, this is nine. It'll be lesson number 10, titled Philip as a Missionary. But more about that next week. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.